Well, good morning. My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here at Taproot Church. I get the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, I got dressed up for Christmas, everybody. Rocking that bow tie. So, woohoo, go team. Uh, no, it's, uh, I wanted to first talk about this, this week. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a wild week. It's been, been, there's been a lot of things. And uh, I just, I just want to think back to the feast. I know a lot of you were at the feast on Wednesday night, and that was a blast. I had a joy getting to like, hang out and uh, enjoy dinner with you all. Uh, I learned something at the feast that was, I think is really important. It needs to be brought up on a Sunday morning in a sermon because it's relevant to everybody. I'm being sarcastic a little bit. Just to warn you all, prepare you all. <laughs> I was sitting, I got to sit with, uh, with uh, uh, Kevin Sacek, and we were sitting there, and we were admiring each other's boots, and we looked, and we realized we have the exact same boots, and we were so excited. We were, like, high-fiving at dinner, like, yes, we're, like, boot bros, and having a good time, and then he comes running back to me at one point. He's like, well, guess what I found? Someone else has the same boots. Jonathan Miritesh and you and I have the same boots, and we're boot bros, or we're like a boot gang, and that's as far as we're going to go there. But just so you know, I'm part of a gang now, and I feel pretty cool, so I'm pretty excited about it. That was one of my highlights from the feast, but I had a really good time. I made a joke to Kevin that I was going to say something on Sunday morning, so. Uh, no, it was a good time. I really enjoyed it. But it was, there was a lot of things this week. Uh, we had um, the elders and wives got together, and we went to dinner on Friday night and had our kind of Christmas feast together, and we were able to just think through this year of 2021, and just be so thankful for all the ways the Lord is blessing Taproot Church. And it's been a cool year. It's been a year where the Lord has given us more than we can handle, and yet he has provided what is needed to continue to bring about discipleship and growth and maturity amongst us as believers, and that is worth praising him for. Amen? And that was just so, so good. Uh, and then, uh, um, but I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of up here with a heavy art. Um, sorry. Uh, yesterday we had uh, Amos's memorial service, and it was so sweet and so beautiful, and a good time mourning that little baby. Um, and so I, I just am so thankful for the Dorpats and their family and the family all around him, the opportunity that we all got to come out and celebrate Amos. And so it feels heavy, and I want to recognize that, that this season can be heavy for us for lots of reasons. Sometimes Christmas isn't the most joyous time it can be kind of publicized as, <laughs> Uh, consumerized as, it can be hard for a lot of us. And I just want to say you're seen this morning. I'm excited about our text today. Because we see Jesus, um, we've, been, we've been really focusing in, zooming in on the way Matthew intentionally captures the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we really started this whole section back in 4, chapter 4 of Matthew, when Jesus saw the crowds and he decided to teach them. And we get this beautiful, concise, clear teaching called the Sermon on the Mount that teaches us about the kingdom of heaven and that it is here. And Jesus does this amazing job of teaching. And he's this, uh, I like, like I kind of said in my last sermon, that it's, we get this picture of the teaching king on the mount. And then we see Jesus transition down into the valley where we get 10 stories that we've been preaching through through chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew where Jesus has been living out that reality of the kingdom come. He's been living out as this, like who he is as our savior, as the servant king in the valley. And today we're going to see Jesus transition, Matthew's going to transition Jesus a little bit more and kind of we're going to, this week and next week, be preaching about Jesus sending workers out 
to do what he does. And this is beautiful picture of discipleship that we see in Jesus. But I love what, um, what Matthew says. Let's, just, let's read it really quick here. Um, I just want to read that first verse. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, ga- the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Um, we read that already. We read it back in 4, um, Matthew 4. If you look at verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I want to remind us, Matthew is a literary genius. He doesn't do things on accident. He's, he's giving us this beautiful bookend to what he's doing in his writing about this person, Jesus. And he's giving us this picture of Jesus's uh, purpose and plan of being a teaching king, doing the things that he says he, that he taught in his Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to see this equipping of disciples to do the mission and do what Jesus did. We talk about in Tappert a lot how important it is that we be with Jesus, that we be like Jesus, and we do what Jesus did. And chapters five through 10 of Matthew is this, this encapsulation of us seeing Jesus doing that over and over and over again. And so um, what we're gonna see is him move from, yes, the, the, the teaching king on the mount to the servant king of the valley, but now he's, he's this sending, compassionate shepherd king who's sending out the very first instance of, of expanding his ministry beyond himself here in chapters nine and 10. And so I've got three points because I, I wanna do a bit of a case study on this person, Jesus, as we look at this. I wanna look at Jesus, the compassionate, um, the compassionate shepherd here. And then I wanna look at what he does. Like, what are his actions here? What is he teaching us about himself here? And, um, and then how does he do it? So I've got three points. My first point is Jesus shows compassion to the people. So let's pick up in verse 36 here. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I, this, this verse is so packed with meaning in every single Greek word. I'm not gonna go into some deep Greek study today, but uh, I just, I want you to, I want to just slow down here because this gives us a picture of Jesus that is so powerful. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to start off with that phrase that Jesus sees the crowds. Now, now imagine, this is this point where Matthew's kind of in, like he's capturing the moment. Jesus sees the crowds how many of us don't actually believe that we're seen by Jesus? Do you really believe you're actually seen by Jesus? Like he really sees you and gets you? I don't know about you, but for me, I live a lot of my life not that way. I kind of, I think that my struggle, my pain, my strife, my anxiety, my stress is unique to me, and I'm, I'm somehow specially broken, and Jesus doesn't quite get me. 
And I, I oftentimes live life like he doesn't get me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see the real me. He, and I, we, we functionally sometimes live this way. But I love this. I love that right off the bat, Matthew is making a point to say that Jesus was doing all these things and he was moving around these villages and cities and he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He was proclaiming the good news and he was healing those that came up to him and wanted healing. And then Matthew stops us here and says, Jesus saw them. He sees them. And I think of kind of the heaviness that I feel, like even from this week, or the heaviness we maybe feel in here because it's around Christmas time, or the feelings of heaviness because of stress and anxiety of the season, or maybe feelings of heaviness because of loss, or whatever it might be. And I just want to say, Christians, I want to give us a little hope this morning that Jesus sees you. He knows you, he loves you, and he wants you. That's actually a mantra I say to myself often. Jesus knows me, he loves me, and he wants me. I add that wants me in there, like because a lot of times I think I stop a lot of times that he knows me and he loves me, because it's like, well, of course Jesus loves me because he's Jesus and he has to. Any of you ever feel that way? I try to be very intentional to make sure I remind myself he actually wants me. And Christians, he wants you. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he wants you. And this is Jesus' reaction when he sees the crowds. It says that um, he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. This word compassion is pretty massive. It's actually a word that the early New Testament writers had to invent because they wanted to convey this guttural feeling of feels that that they saw in Jesus as he reacted to the things he saw. Isn't that cool? This is a word that the, the news says, it's, it's this guttural, it means Jesus felt the feels. Do any of you in here feel the feels sometimes? I feel the feels sometimes. Get overwhelmed with those feelings. And we see our Savior was not this stoic, far off, distant, uh, overseeing ruler. Jesus was present, engaged, and he could feel what the people were feeling in his inner being, in his guts. Some of you are are feelers with me in here today. Jesus was like that. He was like us that way. You feelers in here, Jesus, our Savior, was like you. And we're like him. That's a beautiful picture of of the closeness and the engaged sense of our Savior, Jesus. But he felt the feelings in his gut. And so, and here's what he was feeling from. He says that uh, because they, the crowds, were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love that passage. I want to I go look because uh, if you have your Bibles, open to Ezekiel 34. Jesus here, he has in his mind when he's, he's, in, he's with the crowds, he's experiencing life with them, he's teaching, proclaiming, healing. You get this sense that he is remembering the words of Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read some pretty, pretty big chunks of this because I think the words are just so good to be thinking in getting in the mind of our Savior Jesus. So starting in verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, 
but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they, there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at the hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they might not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks for out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own lands and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, sh there they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountain of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." I want to jump down to 20 there. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you will push the, with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, he shall feed them, and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them, and I am the Lord, I have spoken. So that's this huge prophecy that we find in Ezekiel. And I wanted to read all of that because I just think it's so full and rich of context for the mind of Jesus here in this passage. When he says he looks over these people and has compassion for them, and he sees them like sheep without a shepherd, that they are harassed and helpless. He's, he has this in mind. He's hearing the words of his father in his head, and he's seeing it lived out and worked out in front of him in this situation. So in this, in this time, who would have been considered shepherds in Jesus' day would have been people like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the, the rabbis or the teachers in the synagogues. And so you would have had these people that all of the people, the common men and women would have been looking towards for guidance, for support, for help. They were not getting it. And Jesus sees that and he says it like this. He says, 
they are like, a she- they are like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and then he uses these words, they are harassed and helpless, which that phrase has s- some pretty dark context to it. Uh, again, having sheep in mind, the more literal phrase is torn and thrown down, thrown down, torn and thrown down. This idea of like what a wolf might do to a sheep. Jesus is looking, he has these deep feels because what he sees is this metaphor of the people being torn apart like sheep without a shepherd. And he has deep compassion. Again, I just, um, I want to point out a few things about these shepherds. Things we notice is that primarily they take care of themselves and they do not strengthen or care for the weak, right? But I love the Lord's response. In verse 10 in Ezekiel, it says, uh, he says he's against these shepherds. In verses 11 and 12, he says he's going to rescue the sheep. In verse 11, he says he's going to search and seek out those sheep. In verse 15, it says that I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And then finally, at the end of that uh, prophecy, it talks about the son of David being a sheep. And that's just pointing directly to our Savior, Jesus being the good shepherd. And that should give us hope, Christians, to know that Jesus sees the crowds. He sees the pain. He sees the struggle. He sees you. He sees me. And he's moved with feeling and then has a desire to think on these lost sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is this compassionate, good shepherd who knows our pain and knows our struggle and he wants to bring us into good pasture. He wants to rescue us from the hand of wolves. He wants to be our shelter and our our safety. He wants to see us and, and he wants to help us in what we're feeling. And we're no different today. When we look out on the landscape of our culture and our society, I think that we could say in lots of ways we're also harassed and helpless, right? Man, I just think of the invention of the internet. <laughs> that feels pretty harassed and helpless. The amount of bullying, of mental illness, of struggle, of, of feeling like for whatever reason that we can say whatever on this medium called the internet and it doesn't have to actually like mean anything, but it actually can hurt people very much so. I always think of that dumb phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is such a lie. The internet's proof. I think of just the way we're tossed and thrown about by all sorts of media, things we believe, the way that our politics work out, the way our government works out. I think of the higher financial burden on society today. I think of, um, oh gosh, I think of just all the different kinds of cultural mandates and pressures that we put on ourselves and on each other. I think of how so much of our society on different sides of whatever aisle you want to look at are all about cancel culture these days. I think of social media expectations. I think of body image expectations. I think of sexual expectations. I think of gender expectations, just to name some. The things that we're feeling harassed and helpless in, that we're just being swept about by culture in this world. And it's because this world is not out for you. This world will not be a good shepherd for you. Jesus alone is our good shepherd. And it's like, man, we're burdened. 
we're harassed, we're helpless. When we go and we look for whatever good there is out in the world, it's not gonna give it back. It will leave us harassed and helpless if we continue to find the world's offerings as our God, as our idols, instead of finding Jesus as our good shepherd. Amen? What I love about this too is that in this, we can see that Jesus is not motivated to rescue the sheep because he's disgusted with our sin. No, no, no. We see that Jesus recognizes and has compassion on our hapless state, and that's what motivates Jesus to want to help his sheep. Isn't that so good? But I know a lot of you in here are carrying this burden around thinking that your sin is too massive, your sin is too broken, you're too far off and you're not close enough to be able to have a Jesus rescue you. But I'd say you're wrong. Jesus can rescue you. Your sin is not too much. And that's not his reason for motivation for wanting to be your shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd because he sees that you need a good shepherd. And we've got to quit being pulled into thinking that this world can offer anything for us other than helplessness and harassed states. Jesus sees our struggle and does not wag a divine or perfect finger at us and just look at us and say, well, if you just do better. But instead, he empathizes, he prays, and he equips others and diversifies his efforts to see his kingdom be present amongst us. And that's so good? And that's what we see here today is those three things. And that's really like, that's the point of the sermon. We've been talking about the way Jesus empathizes with us. He has compassion on his people. And then we're gonna see this transition in the text where Jesus is gonna do a couple things. First, he's gonna call us to this wonderful thing called prayer to see like we've got massive problems in front of us that's too big for us. The harvest is ginormous. There's lots of people that need a good shepherd. And he's gonna call us to this beautiful thing called prayer. And then Jesus our good shepherd is going to show us how he equips others to do what he's doing. This beautiful thing called discipleship that man here at Taproot, we are all about, okay? So I'm gonna get into my second point. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for laborers, okay? Uh, So it says, if you pick up in verse 37 here, it says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is like a famous passage, isn't it? Have we, many of us, and maybe you've been in the church for a little while, we've heard this a lot, like, yeah, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, few. And this is what I usually hear when I hear this passage. I hear, yeah, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so all of you get off your butts and go do stuff. You guys ever hear that one? I've heard that message a few times. I want to I wanna pause. I want to stop here. I want to notice something here, and I want to not, I want to not feel into Jesus' words the things that he's not feeling. So he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here's the thing I want to, I want to recognize. Jesus here is not anxious. Jesus is not stressed out. Jesus sees a mighty harvest. He sees harassed and helpless sheep He sees the problems in front of him, but he's not stressed out. This is not like a Jesus in there being like, oh no, the harvest is too much. We might fail the mission. No, Jesus is completely confident and he's using this moment intentionally to 
begin this beautiful process of equipping his church. This is like, this is like ground zero for the church being equipped to do what it's eventually going to be called to do, okay? And so what we see here is, is that the other part I want to look at is that the disciples are not the point here. So he turns to disciples to teach them, but so often we think that like, oh, okay, so Jesus has given us this task, I must be the point. I, I have to now rescue everything. And we've kind of, a lot of times as a church, we've taken on that mantle of like, well, I guess we have to do good enough. We better get to every single corner of everywhere and make sure that everyone hears the gospel and prays a special prayer and raises their hand on the, that morning and comes forward to the altar because if we don't do it, then it's all gonna fail. But we're not the point. It's not about how good or bad we do. This is Jesus teaching that there is a harvest, Christians. There's a, there is a harvest, disciples. There are many out there that need a good shepherd, right? I need a good shepherd. You need a good shepherd? We need a good shepherd. His name's Jesus. We live in this beautiful valley with lots of people, and they need a good shepherd. So yeah, absolutely. Let's look around. The need is massive. The need is huge. It's too much for us, and that's good. Because if we could do it on our own, then we wouldn't need God. But dang it, we need God. <laughs> we need him so much. And so what does Jesus call us to? He doesn't say the harvest is huge, then the, we need lots and lots of workers, and so everyone go. We'll get there. Don't get me wrong. But no, he teaches them to pray. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus teaches us to, to pray. This is so hard for us. This is so hard for us. This is hard for us in America. This is hard for us over the people in Jesus' time. This is hard for us as humans to see a present need and to not just do something. You guys feel that? Gosh, as a, as a pastor of a church, I feel this all of the time. I just think back over 2021 and I think of all the different moments where I, I would like be on the drive home and I'd just be like, I quit. <laughs> I can't. Holy smokes, this is too much, you know? It is too much. I can't help that. I don't know how to speak into that. That's too big for me. Ah, like all over the place. Just, and I think we all do that right? We all have these like, like where we go and we're just like, I can't, I can't. And yet you, so much of the time our reaction is like, just, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and dig in and dig your heels in and go harder, right? It's kind of like our, our resilient American mindset a lot of times. It's just, we'll do more better, right? Jesus, our good shepherd, doesn't call us to that necessarily. What does he do? He calls us to prayer. He calls us to prayer, it says, pray earnestly for the workers, for the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. So I want to say this too, and I'm included in this, but some of us doers need to hear this word. Please, let's not be so prideful to think that we can fill every space and every opportunity to help everything that needs help. Often we need to stop, learn to leave an open space, and pray for God to do something. You with me? That's hard for us. But gosh, it's in those open spaces 
that we leave, that people step up in ways we never would have expected. It might be awkward for a moment because we're like, well, what's going to happen to the thing? What if the thing falls over? What if the thing collapses? I always think of The Office when Kevin brings in his chili. You guys remember that episode? And he just, so Kevin, he's, he's made a big old giant pot of chili that he brings every single year to the office and he like, he ages his whatever and like it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing that he does and he's carrying his pot of chili in and at some point he goes to set it on the counter and the whole pot of chili falls over onto the ground and you just see this grown man helpless, trying to scoop all of the stuff back into the the pot of chili. And I feel like all of us so often that way, we just see these things and we're like, we have to scoop the chili back into the pot. We've got to do it because it's too big and massive. And I think that's like the image I get when we're just always trying to do this on our own. There was no amount of scooping that Kevin was going to do to get that chili off that floor. There's no amount of fortitude or persistence or, or desire to just make things happen that we can do all of the things that are tasked before us to do that God has given us to do. We can't do it all. He's got to raise up workers. He has got to raise up. He's got to put that stuff inside of every single one of us that we need, that he specifically built you for this moment in this time to be workers of his kingdom. He's done it to every single one of us. He's put things in of you that are specific to you that you've got, that no one else has got, that other people need so we can all help one another out. But gosh, he's got to do that work in you. And we got to be praying. Pastors of Tapper Church, we need to be praying. Leaders in Tapper Church, we've got to be praying. Members in Tapper Church, please, let's be praying. Let's be praying, a praying church that desires to see God do amazing things amongst us. That's what I want to be. I want to be that church where there's not just like one or four or five people doing everything. I always think of uh, this example from my my business past. Uh, There's this book called Turn the Ship Around. Any managers in here pretty excited about that book? Nobody. Good. Awesome. This is fresh. I'll just say it's actually for me. I came up with all this, so no. Uh, But uh, this is like idea in business that that, um, I I was like, I really enjoyed this and I would always try to really, really disciple my team into understanding this concept. But it's like when you have this big giant submarine in the ocean that has a job to do, to go in a certain direction and do a mission, in order to turn that submarine around, if you had one person run around the ship doing all the things that had to be done, how long would that take for that submarine to go the direction it needs to go? But what if all the crew members in the boiling room and all the crew members on the second floor and on the third floor and on the fourth floor and every single crew member understood the, the, the goal of the mission. They were all on the same team and on the same mission and all focused. Imagine the efficiency and the, the skillship of that ship of being able to do what it's supposed to do. It's a beautiful picture of discipleship. Like one or two of us cannot do everything. You doers in here, you can't do everything. We have to trust that God is going to raise up leaders amongst us. He's going to raise up workers to join us in the mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And sometimes that's messy. And that's what we don't like, church, right? We don't like the messy chili mess. We don't like that. We don't want things to fall over and look gross. And, but goodness gracious, when we look at, we're about to look at 12 apostles, they were a messy chili mess. Right? Look at, read the book of Acts. 
and take the like rose-colored glasses off, just read the book of Acts. It is a messy, chilly mess. Absolutely it is. But goodness, we have seen lots of fruit here at Taproot Church from doing our, our darndest to have like this posture of prayer. We have five core values here at Taproot Church that I love dearly. They help me so much to make sure that we are on mission and going the direction we're wanting to go. Those came out of a beautiful season of prayer where we just invited all the home group leaders to meet on Sunday nights at a random building here in town, and we just prayed. And we just prayed, and we just prayed. And the Lord really, one, one he united us as leaders that much more and brought about really, really good connection amongst us. I think we need to do that again, by the way. Something like it, yes, okay. Um, but it was so, so good, but our, our core values came out of that. Um, I think of any program we might take part in, right? Um, one big one has been youth ministry. Youth ministry is kind of a cool idea, right? That teenagers, 13 to 18 years old, would be disciples. And Taproot's been around for over seven years, and we haven't done much of youth ministry yet, right? And we're all kind of sitting around being like, when's youth ministry going to happen? That'd be pretty cool. But that, that, that's where this posture is come, coming in, is we're not just going to throw someone into something that they're not equipped or skilled or passionate or have the capacity or whatever for. Instead, we want to pray. And I'm really encouraged because Taproot kind of has a youth ministry right now, and it's really cool. Uh, I, there's four youth leaders here that we've prayed about. We've been praying about for years, and they're doing an amazing job connecting with teens and connecting with their families. And I cannot wait to see what the Lord has for that. But that's just one aspect where it's like, Goodness, we wanted youth ministry for a long time, but I'm so thankful we stopped and prayed because if we would have just forced it to happen, I don't think it'd be very effective. But because the Lord has been raising up leaders and putting something inside of people and we've just been trusting that process, guys, I, just, I can't wait to report back in four years when we're like, our youth ministry is the coolest thing because I just believe in it and I'm so excited about what the Lord's gonna do there. Um, so why does Jesus call us to prayer? I've been hitting on a lot of these, but I think more than anything, Jesus really wants us, like himself, to develop a dependence, not on ourselves, but on the Lord of the harvest, right? Because so often we are really good about being dependent upon ourselves and just muscling our way through, but for us to have a posture where we trust that the, the sovereign God of the universe is actually the one who's going to do the things, and we get to be a part of what he's doing, it's awesome, and it's exciting, and I think it goes so much better. Um, a posture of prayer also gives us, uh, gives us patience and self-control, and those are good fruits of the Spirit that are good to have amongst us in the church, is that we would learn to patience and self-control. Um, I think learning how to embrace the mess is a healthy church, it also gives the credit where the credit belongs, and that's in the Lord. Our sovereign God is the one who's doing the work in every single one of us. So when we stop and we pray, and we trust that he is gonna do this work amongst us, he's raising up these leaders, he's the one, how good is that for us as a church to recognize we could not do this without him? But no, Tabard Church is held up by, is built up by, is cared for by, is provided for by, because our sovereign God is here at work amongst us. Isn't that good? Because he deserves all the glory and all the credit for what he's doing here. So that's my hope, church, is that we would be a church that prays. 
we would see spaces, opportunities. And so often they're beautiful opportunities. I just want to say that. People come to me or one of, some of us as the leaders a lot of times and have great ideas for really cool opportunities. And we often say, not yet. Let's pray. And I, let's do that together. Church, I, wanna, I want to be that well-oiled ship that all of us are on the same page, moving in the same direction, wanting to see the Lord do amazing things with us. You know, raise up workers. And here's what's really cool, is Jesus continues on. And that, so my last point is just that Jesus equips the 12. But he continues on, he says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles were these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So there's our 12. Um, but yeah, but God, he, Jesus sees the harassed and helpless sheep knows that they need a good shepherd, calls his disciples to prayer. And then Jesus enacts his role as the Lord of the harvest and he sends out some workers. Isn't that so cool? We see Jesus putting on his his Lord of the harvest hat here. So he says, listen, disciples, let's pray that God, that, that the Lord of the harvest raises up workers. And he says, by the way, now you're workers, let's go. And he sends them out, <laughs> he equips them. What I love here is that, uh, is that uh, Jesus equips these 12. He says to them, he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Um, sometimes what I've heard in this is that this is prescriptive or this is the blueprint by which we should do all missions. I just wanna make it clear it's not. There's so much that we as disciples of Jesus can learn from these texts. Mike is gonna get up next Sunday and he's gonna preach the whole rest of it where Jesus is gonna tell his, his apostles how to be sent out ones. Uh, but this is not exactly our blueprint. Matter of fact, they're gonna get told to go on mission to uh, proclaim the kingdom of heaven to the house of Israel only. Jesus is actually gonna say only to the house of Israel. That's not our mission. Matter of fact, I just wanna go and point out uh, Matthew 28 just so we know our mission. So verse 18, it says, or no, sorry, yeah, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's our mission. Let's go. I'm all for that, but let's apply some of what we learn here to our mission as well, okay? Um, Our calling is different than this. So this one, Jesus gives these 12, every one of them, this ability, this, this authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal. For whatever reason, God has chosen to give the church a body of gifts, and all of us have different giftings and skill sets, and so we're all together to work as a body. So we all do little different things, and we're to pray for those gifts and work towards those gifts and see those gifts come forward in our life, and they're beautiful and they're wonderful. Uh, so that's a big difference. Another one is that uh, we're called to 
uh, make disciples of all nations, not just keep it in the house of Israel. Um, And we're also called to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them about Jesus and what Jesus taught them. And so we've got that mission before us, uh, but what can we learn about these 12 getting called, and how does that work for us as we consider ourselves being called out as workers into this harvest and having this massive thing before us? Um, I just want to say there's good evidence here and good evidence throughout Scripture. Jesus will always give you what is needed to fulfill the mission of ministry. You will always be given what you need to do the job. And so we see that example. Every time he sends anyone out, he gives what is needed. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that we read, he says he's going to send the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is going to be with us through till the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus is going to give us what we need. I know a lot of you in here today maybe just feel like you haven't arrived yet. You're not, you're not there yet. And I, I just want to encourage you, our good shepherd is with you. And I think that if you have a desire to join and be a worker for the harvest, I just want you to know that you will receive what is needed for the mission. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel as grand and pretty as we might fantasize in our head. It might just look like we're really good at listening and hearing what people are going through. That's so helpful. That's a great worker for the kingdom. Sometimes it looks like you're able to just say, whoa, that's hard, let me pray for you. That is a worker in the kingdom. Goodness gracious. Sometimes it looks like loving God's word in such a way that you want to be a teacher, you want to equip others, you want to make disciples of others. Go therefore and do it. I just want to encourage you that that Jesus will give you what is needed. I think back to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's knock and ask and receive. Ask Jesus to be with you. So many times my prayer is, Jesus, help me. And I think that's a good prayer. Amen? The other thing I want to look at is that um, God has a really awesome way. He has a knack for fulfilling his purposes through a kind of dingy crew. <laughs> right? I look at these 12 apostles. They don't have a great pedigree. They're not really special. They don't have a robust religious background. They don't come with, uh, with a bunch of attributes that we would look at in a resume and go, yes, that's my person. <laughs> I, that's not what we see. What we see, though, is that God fulfills his purpose through Motley Cruz. I've liked that phrase lately. We've been using it in our apprenticeship class. That, like, the church, we, we really would do well to think of ourselves like a goofy little motley crew of people, right? Because those are the people God works through. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. We hear about it through history. God does amazing things through people who are just faithful to what he's called us to. In Tabernacle Church, I think that that is true for us here in the Magic Valley of Twin Falls, Idaho. Goodness. 
I, I, love, I love that there's a harvest that's too far beyond what we can handle because, man, God is gonna have to do some amazing things. And my prayer is that we get to be a part of the amazing things he's doing. And then he's going to bring us along with him in the amazing things he's doing. He invites us to be workers alongside of us. Dude, the reality is, if God wanted to fulfill his purposes, he wouldn't have to use us at all. He doesn't need us. But instead, I like to think of it like he's inviting us to be workers alongside him and the beauty that he's bringing to reorder creation. And so we get to be there in those moments when people get Jesus as their good shepherd because God has invited us to be a part of that. Isn't that so good? We get invited to, to when we go help the, those that are needy amongst us in our community, we get to see their face and they receive the help they need. And that happens so many places. As I made a joke earlier about how driving home I go like, oh, I can't handle this, it's too much. That's definitely a joke because I absolutely love what I do. I do, I love this, this opportunity I have to be a minister of the gospel in this capacity because I get to have meetings with many of you and I love it. I'm filled with joy because those moments when you get it or we get it or we pray for each other and we see God get it for us, what, you know, whatever it looks like, I, I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful because, um, again, the elders' dinner on Friday, I was so thankful because I've tried really, really hard to leave space in Taproot Kids ministry and leave space in Taproot Kids youth ministry. That's kind of some of the stuff I oversee, by the way, if you didn't know that. But um, to see the Lord raise up workers and people who want to do that ministry and do it well has been such a joy. Uh, we, have, we have over uh, 47 Taproot Kids volunteers right now. Isn't that so cool? And praise the Lord that that's happening. And uh, we have over 70 students in our Taproot Kids ministries. That's a lot of kids. Praise the Lord. And it's too much. That's a lot of discipleship. Uh, but when I go and I have coffee with some people that are passionate about those preteens and those preteen classes and I hear their heart for discipleship, I leave those meetings. I'm so thrilled to see what the Lord is doing. When I hear about how nursery went for the day, I often will try to like track down the Taproot Kids volunteers. They're all downstairs for the most part. Some of you are in here and I love you all so much. You get to hear me gush about you for a minute. But when I go in and I check in, like, how was, how was nursery today or how was this today? And I hear these reports about uh, volunteers getting to know these students and hear their hearts and hear that they are learning about our Savior Jesus. And they get to pray for them and be with them. This has been a year that I've been so full of joy to see the Lord diversifying his efforts here in Tappert Church. I just can't wait to see what he's got for us. And that's just like one little corner of like my world I get to see. I know the other pastors would, would come up and be able to say other opportunities where we have seen the Lord doing this work here. Equipping us for what we need to do the harvest, to be workers in the harvest. So let's continue to have this posture. Let's be like our Savior and let's see and feel what the sheep are feeling. Let's pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would continue to raise up workers and continue to do work amongst us. And let's ourselves 
know that where we're at, the Lord will equip us with what we need. And he's putting us together like this really messy jigsaw puzzle. But man, I think it's going to be a beautiful mosaic as we're this motley crew called Taproot Church. I pray that we would do much to love and care for the lost sheep as well and know that they are pointed to our good shepherd who has so much compassion for all of us. So let me pray for us. We'll get the band back up here and we'll continue on uh, worshiping our king this morning. Father, thanks for this day. Um, I praise you, God, for the opportunities we have to um, see the harvest and to feel the suffering that there is, that we have this beautiful gift of prayer to trust and rely on you more fully than ourselves. And I pray, God, that as you're sending us out, as you call us into work of whatever capacity or form or shape, that you would equip us with exactly what we need, bless us with your spirit and you with us, and as we go out, that we get the opportunity to see you doing much amongst us. Thank you, Father, for this gift that is the church, that is your people. Um, I pray that you'd bless us this morning. Thank you so much for the kids getting up here and singing, that we get to continue singing praises to you. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.